afternoon, good morning, good evening. You and Spence here once more with the All About Windows phone team, the best Windows phone team that I know of in the United Kingdom that right for sight that has the word all about at the start. Admittedly, that is a very small uh, pool of people to choose from, but I would still choose the other three people in this podcast before anybody else to chat to, apart from possibly Zoe Deschanel, but that's a different matter. Joining me and joining you listening out there, first of all, we have a man for whom agoraphobia is one of the biggest selling words on a Scrabble board. Down in Reading, we have Steve Litchfield. Hello, that was a very waffly intro, Ewan. But I, thought, I thought for a little bit long, you know, we could do short and snappy. I mean, I could, we could go all, hello, I'm Walt Murrow. This oh. is London calling. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> Get on with it. Okay, Rafe, are you here? I am indeed, yes. and I'm. David, uh, are you do- here? I am, even though Rafe was talking. I, what's he get on with it you got to do that back to Ray I was just going to say this is London calling because that's the style I like oh okay right then so as we take another journey into the world of Windows Phone let's get the complicated world of mobile phone pedantry as we look to Rafe Blanford and his report on Sissive Yes, Sisivel. This is a, a quick story we wanted to cover that Nokia have sold some patents to Sisivel. Sisivel is a company that actually specialises in licensing patents. Uh, some might have a knee-jerk response and go, patent troll. I don't think this is really the case uh, in this particular area. But given that patents are such a big issue in the mobile industry, we thought we'd bring this one up as an example of perhaps the way it should be done. Um, a lot of companies have large patent collections and they're used basically as a strategic lever over other companies in many cases. Uh, but really, that's not how the patent system was originally intended. It was intended as a way of uh, promoting, but also protecting innovation. And I think there's obviously a delicate balance between uh, encouraging research and development and innovation and allowing competition, you know, allowing other people to use patent stuff. And the the key phrase here is FRAND, and that's uh, fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory when you're lic- licensing patents. And Cicivale does have a pretty good track record record here as indeed do Nokia themselves so this isn't sort of a a patent troll thing but I'd actually in some ways like to see more of this where companies that have the expertise of setting licensing agreements uh, come to the fore because they're inevitably going to exist but as long as these can take place in a frown environment that means innovation gets rewarded but at the same time uh, competition isn't held back from using the latest developments even if they do have to pay for them in a a reasonable way of course no one's going to be ever completely happy about this but uh, perhaps one of the patent stories that's more uh, positive than perhaps uh, negative although i guess we will have to see what sisville does with these patents and how they behave i just wanted to point out that uh, sisville although i hadn't hadn't heard of them either as well doubtless none of our listeners um they were the people who have been handling the the licensing of the MP3 um, music patent, also OSD, which is the on-screen delay on your monitor that you press the button and you get the various little, you know, up horizontal, vertical, and all the different settings. ATSS, automatic tuning and sorting system. I have no idea where that's used, and various other well-known standard things you use in consumer electronics that they actually handle the patents and 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 use this FRAND system so that everybody gets a slice of the pie and the appropriate royalties go to the appropriate copyright holders. So I, I do. I think I do trust these guys. They've got a long track record. 
Yeah, that's right. And the reason that Nokia would have sold off these patents, it's probably not to raise money because I suspect the actual amount of capital transfer is, is relatively small. When they made this deal, all the existing license agreements you know, remain in place and Nokia obviously has a perpetual license to it. But I suspect this is more about uh, core competencies and obviously doing the kind of licensing deals isn't something that really Nokia wants to focus on as a core business area you know they're interested in building devices and maybe in doing more research and development building up more patents but it, when it comes to the actual business of trading with others and doing all the licensing it's perhaps not in their core competence so it makes sense to kind of export it to others so as i say i'd actually in some ways prefer to see this as a pattern for patents uh, in the future and certainly there's a reasonable track record if you look at the MP3 world. Now, some people are going to come back and still say they still don't like patents, but I, I kind of take the view they are uh, inevitable if you're going to have a way of protecting research and development costs, which are enormous um, at the same time as having, you know, the ability for others to use such uh, developments. Yeah, I, I can't remember where I picked this up on, if it was where, when we talked about this on the old Symbian insight podcast uh, available from a web server very very close to this one um or if it was just in the general reading of things but sisterville essentially now because they've got so many friend patents in here made a one-stop shop if you're into the business of making a mobile phone and you need to pick up all you know access to all the myriad of patents uh, that you need from phone stacks and tra- transfers and screen displays and screen tech then, then sisterville is is gets a lion's share of the paint. You go to them, they go, yeah, we can give you the 917 paints you need. It's going to be X dollars per handset. Just sign there. Um, very little negotiation. You don't have negotiation with France. That's the whole point. Um, and it makes it far easier for people to get into the market. Uh, and that, that's what, that's, that's the paint system actually working. You know, it's like, it, it's nice. It's simple. It's not to use as a lever or, or a big legal head stick or anything. It's just, they created this. You have to reward them. Tra la 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 la. That's, that's uh, right. I mean, I should just point out here that Frand is kind of the basis on which the patents are licensed rather than a, a particular system, i.e., the idea that it's fair, it's reasonable, and non discriminatory. In other words, you know, you're not paying an excessive amount and yeah. everyone gets the same licensing terms. Sisvel does have a big collection, but companies are still going to have to go to others. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, particularly for if you like the common patents the ones that you most obviously need they are going to sort of agglomerate into companies like this that are responsible for licensing and i'm looking to the future this is not what happens now um and i think some of the interests of the big companies who have large patent portfolios might be served by this especially as we see more companies coming along and building uh devices uh and particularly if you look out in china and india in terms of some of that there homegrown manufacturers they aren't always doing the licensing agreements that previously it was taken for granted that they would happen i mean when motorola or siemens or sony ericsson or nokia needed a a patent you know if they were licensing one of the other big guys yes that would happen straight away when you've got these smaller manufacturers who don't really have to do it because all the components are available off the shelf and they can push a product out without even having to go through the licensing, which of course legally they're obliged to do. But the way the market has changed is you know, you can create a phone pretty much off the shelf now. And if not, you can white label it. And so I, I suspect, you know, reducing the friction and being able to license patents like this is probably interest in the interest of many of the big sort of patent portfolio owners. So there we go. Uh, so Mark, uh, there we go off on your Ewan's doing the hosting bingo card and we shall move on. This is an interesting one. Uh, CES, let's look, look back at it, but with 20,000 
odd bits of technology being on display here. There was a lot on show, and a lot of the press was obviously around Windows Phone. Uh, Nokia and HTC making very good runs, and also Acer and ZTE popping up and doing a little bit of hand-waving as well. And, and CES arguably was a good one for Nokia and Windows Phone. But here's, here's the question that I want to ask you. David, I'll, I'll come to you first on this one. Was CES good for Windows Phone and Nokia because they are the best thing that's out there in gadget land at the moment? Or is it because the other 20-odd thousand things just weren't exciting enough to get the news, to get the headlines, and to get the page views and all the technology blogs in America? So were we good because of or in spite of CES, David? Well, I think, uh, really, realistically, it's a bit of both. I mean, I was was trying to take the temperature of things by watching the journalists who were there talking about things. And Windows Phone, and especially the Lumion 900, was being talked about a lot um, by journalists. Although, if you listen to how they were talking about it, it was still rather muted. People weren't going kind of crazy like they might about an iPhone. But But there was still a lot of interest there. And yes... There was very few new things there, and actually picking up on that thing, that's why the Lumia 900 was a win for Microsoft at CES, because as ever at CES, Microsoft had nothing new to announce. So the Lumia 900 was one of the biggest things um, for Microsoft. And I, I think the Lumia 900 also kind of had a lot of interest as well, because I think people had confidence in it because it was under the umbrella of AT&T. Um, however, a lot of journalists were complaining that it was only one device on one network. Um, so, yeah, I think there was a certain amount of, but wasn't a lot else to talk about. But having said that, CES has a loads of fascinating things there. I mean, it is like a little bizarre, really, to, to, to walk around. So, yeah, six or one and a half dozen of the other, really. Steve, what about yourself? Um you rarely want to sit on the fence, are you? <laughs> was CES a good CES event for Windows Phone? Um, absolutely. I think it's got it's got the operating system back on people's radar, especially in America, given their their particular uh, slant on the universe. All of a sudden, um, Microsoft is, is big and fashionable again, certainly in the mobile phone space. Nokia is big and fashionable again. And it was the device everyone was talking about, rather overshadowing the Titan 2, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, but there we go. Yes, uh, a big thumbs up from me. Rafe, you've got an interesting viewpoint on this one as well. But uh, I want to ask you also about this in relation to Mobile World Congress. But first of all, CES, your thoughts on this one? Well, CES, for me this year, there were three big themes out. For, and it was the uh, uh, smart TVs, which have actually been coming for a while now. Then it was the Ultrabooks being pushed by Intel. And then there were, as there always are, mobile phones. And, you know, LTE was obviously one of the kind of the big things out of the show, thanks to the AT&T announcement. Uh, but it did seem that Windows Phone probably got the biggest push, you know, when you compare it to, say, Android. And obviously, Apple wasn't there. And Apple's always talked about at these shows. But, you know, in the lead up, there was the usual um, Apple's not at CES. It's all about Apple. But actually, afterwards, the conversation really was about uh, Windows Phone AT&T, Nokia's return to the market. I think a lot of the positivity was about the fact that was an interesting story. You know, it was a story that almost wrote itself, you know, Nokia, once big in telecoms, coming back into the US market, you know, and people like an underdog, which actually Windows Phone is in in this case. Um, But I also think Nokia produced a really great design on the handset. We've all seen and used the Lumia 800, 
the Lumia 900 was that same kind of impact for the US market. You know, just as there was at Nokia World, there was a real buzz around this handset because of the design, because it was the first Windows phone device from Nokia. That kind of happened again, but for the US market. So it's not surprising, you know, that it got a lot of interest. And in that sense, yes, it was a successful event. And I think if you make a measure of people talking about your device, that is enormously important. I mean, I think back to some of Nokia's other recent big launches with their Symbian devices, and I don't think there's been ever the level of interest there was um, in the US market for Nokia with smartphones. I think the one exception to that might be the N95, which was actually announced and launched in New York, but that wasn't really followed through because it wasn't an operator announcement and all that kind of thing. So for me, it's been you know very successful from that point of view, and I I suspect Nokia will be using that metric, you know, the degree degree of interest from the US, and in that sense, you know, very successful for them. And Microsoft, which was facing this kind of is Windows Phone sort of fading away, have suddenly got Nokia on board, and everyone's taking another look at it, which I think gives them you know 2012 to do things in, and if they can interest the market, you know, that perception will change from. Windows Phone seeming to have a weak first year and they'll go, actually, maybe 2012 is the year of Windows Phone. And it's a lot about the perception, the marketing, the communication of it, very little to do with the actual sort of rational underlying logic, which, you know, is a a completely different discussion. So let me take this forward a little bit because Mobile World Congress is coming in February. We'll be having a presence on the ground there and bringing you all the news from that. There's a lot of phones there. There's going to be much more announcement. It's going to be harder for Microsoft and Nokia to make noise at this. Are they going to want to make a lot of noise? Or are they going to go, you know, we've had a moment, we don't want to saturate the market? I think every manufacturer wants to make noise at MWC. But yes, it is harder because there are multiple launches. But, you know, based on my past experience at those events, I've been to sort of seven or eight now. uh, It's always the big guys that get the most attention. And it's, you know, the likes of Samsung and Nokia that actually kind of tend to dominate the headlines. Nokia's been a bit quiet the last few years, uh, perhaps, you know, reflecting its general sort of trailing off a bit in the smartphone space, but also it's been launching its devices, its big devices at least, elsewhere. I suspect this year they will want to make a splash, and this is where we'll probably hear about kind of the next software update for Windows Phone. I don't think it's going to be the big software update. There's going to be something in between this and kind of the next generation. So that'll be Microsoft Focus. I mentioned on the site this week we'll probably hear about Skype. Nokia will almost certainly follow up with at least one, and I suspect several handset announcements. I'll expect something from HTC as well, and maybe some of the other Windows Phone licensees. The Lumia 900, there's clearly going to be a global version of that, you know, a bigger screen version of the 800. You know, kind of the flagship device for the rest of the world that will, you know, tide Nokia through the first half of this year, and they'll then look maybe in the fall or in the autumn of this year to do, you know, the next big handset announcement. But one thing they've been at great pains to say is that there's going to be a rolling series of announcements and MWC is the obvious place to make one for the spring. They've done the kind of the US bit. What about the rest of the world? So yes, there'll be a big headline device, but I suspect we'll also start hearing about more lower cost devices. And I suspect that will be tied in with the platform announcement that Microsoft will be making. There you go. We'd love to have your opinions uh, on this and all the subjects we talk about on the podcast. You can leave your comments back on the website, allaboutwindowsphone.com, and you can get in touch with us all individually or to the site generally through Twitter, AA underscore WP, uh, and email as well if you want to get in touch with any of its first name at allaboutwindowsphone.com. Let's look at Microsoft again, uh, and let's now look at the rest of the year. 
Uh, and, and this is kind of popped up in my head because of all the, um, how should we say this? Interesting discussion over the weekend uh, about Windows Phone. How about that? Uh, starting off talking about where's the Skype application and uh, then going on to the whole idea about applications and needed applications by a number of noted internet commentators out there, uh, starting off with Hill Fund, uh, Robert Scoble, and then cascading out uh, around everybody else. Um, it's interesting that all these people are continuing to say Windows Phone is not going to happen, but they're writing more and more and more about them every single day. But I want to ask the panel uh, here, and ergo you out there listening, what's Microsoft doing wrong? Uh, we're, we're, you know, it's great. They're a great CES. got some great phones. Getting marketing messages out there. What are they doing wrong? What needs fixed uh, in 2012 from Microsoft's approach to Windows Phone? Uh, Steve, you can start on this one, I think. Where do you think that they need to be concentrating and fixing things? I have to say, and this is purely a personal thing, but I suspect I'm not alone, that um, these devices, especially the Lumia 900, lovely large 4.3-inch screen, is perfect for consuming media. And yes, you can go on the YouTube client if you've got great bandwidth. Um, yes, you can stream stream video from all sorts of sources. But a lot of people, they, they take tube journeys underground or they, they're traveling on a train through an area of poor bandwidth. You haven't always got that luxury. You need to find a way to carry your media with you. And these days, most of us have got all sorts of MP4s and films and stuff, the DivX files, you name it, videos we've downloaded, videos we've taken off our own DVDs, we've sourced from various legal sources, um, and we want to take them with us. And putting any kind of video on a Windows phone is such a pain. I've, I've got Android devices in front of me. I've got Symbian devices in front of me. And each of those, you simply um, either pop the, the video on the memory card or you just plug it into your desktop PC or your Macintosh. Hey, presto, it's a disk drive. And you just drag and drop the files ever. Done. The files play perfectly. With Windows Phone, um, you have to run it through the Zune software or even on the Mac connector software, which at first had an option to don't transcode or videos, which I shouted about on this very first podcast. I think we did. And um, that got removed in the new version. So on the, the, the Mac version also now transcodes videos and everything has to go via iTunes, which is even worse. So it's, it's a complete nightmare putting any kind of mid media on these devices. I know they don't have huge amount of gigabytes in terms of internal disks. I know they don't have expansion cards in the first place. So you're limited in capacity, but I really, really, and I'm sure lots of people also would really, really like to put videos and media on these devices without having to wait two hours while they transcode every single time now it's it's interesting because this is mostly around video uh i know that for example with with, with iphone you still have to go through iTunes to video on to to an iphone don't you Steve? just because apple do it doesn't make it right well <laughs> hold, hold hold on a second hold on a second because what we have to remember is that these are not geeky phones android is, is certainly a geeky phone but surely the consumers are not being deliberately counterproductive here steve uh is is the idea that you know you have one point of contact which is it's itunes which is keys if you're using uh any of the like the samsung galaxy devices which is zoom no, no 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 you because the windows phone isn't always on cloud connected device your point of contact is the internet your point of contact is being online your email streaming and your social media coming in you, you're checking out websites you, you very very ra- rarely actually need to plug into a pc if you've, if you've done a little hack on the site you can even get your podcast downloading on the phone without needing to plug into zoom so it's, it's all that's your point of contact not the pc i beg to differ yeah and i just need to chip in here as well i mean that this whole idea that having a desktop suite like zoom or itunes is less geeky than doing what steve's suggesting is utter tosh because everyone understands usb flash drives every everyone understands how to drag and drop 
whether you're using Zoom or you're using Windows File Explorer, you are dragging and dropping something. It's uh, the same physical action. Uh, I'm not sure I can agree with that. I think the rise of the desktop clients have made things easier for people because you know they don't have to think about decisions about which folder it goes in on the device or which place they put it. You know, and often if you plug in something like Zoom or iTunes. You know, that's where they see all their music. That's where they expect to get it. And so that's where they expect to transfer it to a device. I mean, as much as any geek, yes, you know, being able to mount it and see it as a USB drive would be something I'd love to see because, you know, that's how I kind of got used to doing it. But I can honestly say with regard to music, at least, I have no issues whatsoever using uh, something like Zune. Um, iTunes are can be a bit crashy on my Windows uh, PC, but I've used it with the iPhone fine, and I've used the Nokia suite on the Symbian devices and keys on some of the Samsung Android devices, and none of them feel like a nasty experience to me, and I actually think that's the way most consumers expect. However, all that said, I, I would say it's true for video, but I'm not sure how many people are really side-loading video. It'd be interesting to get some feedback from our listeners, you know, see what see what they say. But certainly observing sort of friends and family, it's not something they do a great deal of. Um, and what Ewan was saying about it being, a, and Steve was saying rather, about it being a cloud experience is right. And, you know, the Wi-Fi sync, for example, with Zoom works really well. Images come across, you know, music as well in that case, um, if I want to do that as well. And so I think actually the idea of them as standalone devices really is becoming more important and you know, the, the sync is something that might happen just once when you're copying the music collection across for the first time. It's still up in the air, this, and I think actually the probably reality of it is there isn't one, you know, way of doing things as far as consumers are concerned, and it won't be you will do it this way or else. I think most consumers probably like the choice, which is why I don't think this sort of USB or this media connection issue is going to go away, and I think it affects Windows Phone uh, iOS and Android equally because none of them have really uh, solved it in a in a manner that uh, really I think is satisfying. Apple get you know kind of close with iCloud and there's other variations on that that do that and you know Microsoft is seeking to do the same thing with Zune and SkyDrive in time, but again that's tying you into a very specific system. If it, if you choose to do it that way, it works seamlessly. It's fantastic, but there's always going to be a component of those who want to sort of do it their own way and thus the i expect this to to go on and on and i don't really expect there to be a a fix to this anytime soon i don't think uh, we're suddenly going to get usb mass storage support on windows phone devices and well just to have some common ground after my vitriolic response <laughs> um i mean i i agree with you zoom is very nice for grabbing music and and for example i love the smart playlists but update my phone every time but then again the wi-fi sync has never worked for me it never works it can never find the phone so there we go but um i think as you say you can never please everybody so i think which is exactly why i think zoom desktop should be optional either do it usb mass storage if that's how it suits you or use a zoom desktop and then if it was an option everybody's happy but isn't the whole point here that we're not going for people with multiple options? You know, even in the, in the last generation of Symbian devices and, and Android and, and Apple devices, the idea of the advanced and basic settings in a menu, so you've got lots more options for, for the geekers, you know, 
that's gone by the wayside. These are consumer devices. These are devices designed for millions and millions of people. And it's not lowest common denominator. It's middle of the bell curve denominator. Uh, and I think that, you know, people like us who are quite happy to write scripts to, to create podcast channels that will go over and smart playlists and everything and tinker around with our Linux machines, which are running Windows so the Wi-Fi sync works. I mean, I have it going. It's, it's wonderful. It's perfectly, David. I'll come down and give you a copy of Windows 98 to get it running on yours. Uh, it's, you know, that's just our lot in life. That's what we have to put up with. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, right? I, I think, I think that's right. I mean, what you're expressing there, Ian, really is the, the core of Windows phone development. And, and actually, you know, a lot of consumer electronics, you know, the, the Pareto principle, or, or also known as the 80-20 rule. Um, and it makes sense to do things that way because you reach the sort of optimum experience for the maximum number of people. I think the problem, particularly with consumer technology and power users, is the 20% who you you don't keep happy, if you like, or the 20% of the functionality you don't choose to implement uh, they can often be quite voluble about that and disproportionately so when we're talking about podcasts or the media writing about it, particularly the online media. Um, and I suspect most people who own a Windows when you'd ask them about this and they, they really wouldn't care. The ones we come into regularly with through the website and through our friends are probably the more geeky inclined ones, the power users. Um, but I think when you're looking at this from deciding which features to implement uh, a platform level when Microsoft and any other company uh, it applies just as much to hardware design as well of course they they design for the 80% because it's actually the rational thing to do so I think there will always be this tension um, there is an argument you make that you effectively what David says is you give them the option you open up you know it's kind of the Android openness but of course that does bring its own problems as we've seen with all the fuss around bootloaders for example on Android or the openness you know, uh, can you close the gate after it's already been open you know horse bolting all that kind of thing so it's not you know a simple just do it anyway thing for me at least so what have you got that windows are doing wrong then rafe well i i had quite a careful think about this one because i think uh, one of the things that the media does seem to agree on they're, they're doing a lot right on design and everything else but i think there's no question that uh, windows phone has a lot of catching up to do so therefore i think more speed is needed uh, and this comes to delivering software updates more devices because uh, uh, you know the big problem for windows only in one sense is a, a credibility issue about the number of devices out there the number of developers and, and that's not going to go away until things speed up so i mean i guess in, in one sense microsoft would love to jump forward a year because i think the conversation will change totally then uh, and you can take a view that Windows Phone is going to fail or succeed. But at the moment, we are kind of in that chicken and egg phase. You know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, it can't have success until it starts delivering things. But some of the things are dependent on more devices being sold. So they're kind of in a no-win situation. And I think the only way to get out of that is to do things more quickly and always have a positive story to tell about something. Uh, and I suspect we'll see this in kind of a rolling series of announcements. So if they have a new handset to talk about as they did at CS. That looks great. If when they get to MWC, they've got a, a platform update to announce and some new devices, great. Um, and of course, you know, there's a continuing story needed in developer. There's all kinds of things you can look at that needs improvement, you know, uh, spreading out the uh, billing APIs so that you can do in-app billing and do operator billing in more markets. There are APIs that developers want to see, you know, native 
uh, coding for gaming, for example, potentially something around Qt and QML. Could you do something there? And there's always going to be this pressure for more, more, more because uh, it's perceived to be in last place or perceived to be catching up. So my general thing, of what's it doing wrong? It, it's too slow. But I think we also have to be reasonable to recognise they're probably quite aware of that and moving as quickly as possible. But I'm sure more could be done to speed things up. Uh, and if you are looking to do more Microsoft, I believe Alistair Campbell is between jobs at the moment and he will go to you <laughs> a lovely battle grid uh, for Microsoft Windows Phone for the rest of 2012. And he will be worth every single brown envelope you can find. David, what are they doing wrong? Don't tell me they have to write a Linux client. Well, what am I going to say then? Um, okay, so <laughs> okay. Um, well, let me just do um, go, go around each of you in alphabetical order just to demonstrate a point. What is your current main Windows Phone device, Ewan? It's the eight hundred Lumia. Riff. Yep. Same for me, Steve. And I'm going to be different and choose the Lumia eight hundred, which is saying the device in the right order. Okay, and for me, I'm using VHTC Radar. So there we have it. Um, 75% of this panel is using exactly the same phone. And the only reason I'm using a different phone is because I can get my SIM card in it without cutting it down. And I do happen to like the slightly larger screen. And what I'm trying to illustrate there is that, in a sense, and, and this is maybe slightly disingenuous, but once you've seen one Windows phone device, you've seen them all. They are all touch slab devices. There is very little hardware differentiation in the market. I know, well, I trust that Nokia will be coming out with an N8 successor on Windows 8. Um, I think Stephen Elop has hinted as much in an interview. Um, but th there's no QWERTY slider. Oh, well, there's a, there's the HTC 7 Pro, which is a quite slider. I think that's the only one. So there's very little. I mean, we've got the Titans, which are like in the like four inch regime, the radar at 3.8 inch, the uh, Lumias and Mozarts that are at 3.72. So you could go in a shop and see which fits your hand the best, but it's still all like very iPhone like devices. And, uh, and I can see in the back channel that everyone's going crazy and wants to chip in. So, um, uh, I think Rafe got in there first. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Dave. And this kind of ties in with the point I was making about, about needing to move more quickly. You're, you need more devices. You need to establish more things. And there's only so fast that can happen, I guess. I mean, there is the Dell Venue Pro from the Gen 1 devices as well. But if you're looking at the sort of Generation 2 devices, yeah, they are all touch slab devices uh, with very little variation between them in many ways. And I think that's also reinforced by the, the the tight you know required specifications that microsoft has and then obviously the relatively tight control it's got over the ui as well and you know you either do the model that you're just going to do one device you know iphone or apple like or a couple of devices you know maybe priced slightly differently but given that microsoft is going for the licensing model and multiple manufacturers i think it, that means inevitably you have a multiple device approach and actually i think that's the only way you can address the whole market i mean i'm sure apple is going to face the how do we address the cheaper bits of the market and you know windows phone certainly for microsoft and for for nokia is kind of i guess the principal licensee now they're saying we want to do windows phone right across a broad range of devices so lots of devices needed um, but the support isn't really there in the platform yet. So I suspect that's something we're going to see announcements about, you know, different screen resolutions, 
maybe something around around keyboards or different hardware requirements. So yes, I, I agree with David that that's something I think needs to be worked on as soon as possible. Yeah, and I, was, I tried out the HTC 7 Pro uh, back three or four months ago, which is basically a, a side-sliding uh, QWERTY device, and then the screen then tilts up at the end of the slide, producing a fairly passable little mini laptop. And for some applications like the Pocket Office, it works really, really well. So you've got Windows, the speed of Windows Phone, plus a full hardware QWERTY keyboard is actually quite good, and the screen's propped up at just the right angle. But half the applications in the OS do not work in landscape mode at all. It just that you have to keep rotating the phone backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, closing the keyboard, opening the keyboard. And it's at the OS, as you say, it, the work needs to be done at the OS level to make it support all the a different, a wider range of form factors, definitely. I think it's also fair to point out that uh, Mango was locked down about this time last year and went on basically just a bug fixing hunt for eight to nine months. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that's on the next update that's going to be in this. It wouldn't surprise me if what we're... Rafe, timescale-wise, we all have to stress, of course, that we are com- I'm completely and utterly speculating here. But whatever version 8 of Windows Phone is going to be, it's probably going to be locked down in the next week or so if it isn't already. And it's just going to be on a bug-hunting mission. So anything that's going to be in is going to have already been coded, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Microsoft would have already been making these decisions. I suspect lockdown might be slightly later for this version. Uh, it, it's oh. difficult to tell. Um, but we do know there's going to kind of be an intermediate update. I mean, Microsoft has gone on the record as saying it's kind of aimed at spreading the market availability and also the aiming at lower cost devices. So one can imagine that's probably around processors, but also language, sort of localization support. That's something I kind of expect to see at MWC or perhaps just a, a few months after that. So that will kind of answer the first bit of the question in, in terms of maybe a different screen resolution and QWERTY form factor or something like that. Uh, but as Steve says, there's also that need for kind of better landscape support. Um, it's in, it'll be interesting to see how much it's delivered when. And yes, a certain amount will have to wait. Um, and although we're talking about this now, you're quite right to say the decision around this will have already been made. But of course, there is a, a lag b- between what we see and what consumers see versus the decisions going on in these companies, which is why sometimes people go, why on earth didn't they do that? Well, maybe when they were making the decision, it wasn't such a visible objective. Um, they have to kind of be profits in a sense to foresee what is going to be the big demand, you know, often a couple of years ahead. And, and that applies just as much on the software platform as it does on hardware, actually. Um, one more thing to add, because I am actually David's evil twin and I've wrestled the microphone away from him. Do you have um, the goatee to go with being evil? Um, it's, it's a work in progress. That'll do. Um, one problem with hardware differentiation is actually somewhere where Apple has succeeded. Um, in whatever you think to the iPhone, um, it's had a very prosperous ecosystem of, of, um, ex- accessories. I mean, like desktop stands, little speak docks and what have you is because the, um, hardware design has changed very little. So accessories have still been compatible and, and also the, the life cycle of any one particular device has been quite long, so it's been worthwhile to buy accessories for a specific phone. Um, whereas on the Windows Phone side, it's much like, in that respect, Windows Phone is much like Android, where you never, on, on any given device, you never know where the headphone sockets and the USB sockets are going to be, and they're all different sizes and shapes. So there's a disincentive to buy an accessory, because you know in maybe a, a year or so, you're going to have to buy a completely different set of stuff because it's not going to fit your next phone. Um, so 
uh, whereas it would be nice to have differentiation it would be it, it might be nice to actually have um at least the the pot location of ports standardized so you could have this thriving ecosystem of like as i say things like speaker docs etc which yeah. of course goes directly opposite the idea of differentiation oh interesting yeah there's, there's no doubt there's, there's benefits on both sides i mean I think what Apple's done, particularly around the accessories that Dave was talking about, is really very impressive indeed in terms of building an ecosystem. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to work, as I said, with the Microsoft model where you're licensing uh, operating system. And, you know, for all the virtues it brings Apple, it, it, there is the problem that it makes it harder to address some markets. We've probably seen that in the global spread of the iPhone not being as fast as some devices, but also, you know, once you get to a certain cost, the iPhone is know perceived to be an unaffordable device uh, and that's probably something that windows phone you know, can't afford to you know apple is almost a rule into to itself um i suspect some of the accessory stuff might be solvable by technology in terms of you know uh wireless connections so you know for me uh better bluetooth support on windows phone would be important for doing for example serial connections uh, for certain types of devices um, but I, I do agree it's an interest, interesting differentiation is often held up to be the most important thing but sometimes it does cause problems too so lots to be discussing uh, over the next weeks and months and to keep an eye on it's a very fertile uh, mix of, of I was going to say manure but that's going to give you the, the wrong idea but garden compost and its ecosystem springing up a, around it doing its best to grow as tall as possible so uh, obviously www.allaboutwindowsphone.com keep in touch with our thoughts we also have our flow which will point out all the interesting things we find around the web no matter where they are we'll pop up links and adding a little thought or two on ourselves. Before we close off the show, let's do our regular what have you been using in the last week or so on your Windows phone around the team, giving you recommendations not necessarily for the best, but the most interesting as I slowly turn into Stephen Fry doing a quiz. Let's first go over to our Alan Davis. <laughs> I'm Alan Davis. So that'll be Steve then. Okay, notice everybody that I didn't leave a name. So, Steve, <laughs> what have you been using this week? Well, aside from the fact that as I'm Alan Davis, I'll probably be on minus 15 points already. Um, and this is something that I've always been, already been mentioned on the All About Windows Phone podcast a few weeks ago. This is Seismic. It's not Seismic, the correct spelling. It's Seismic. And it's combined Twitter, Facebook, and various other network browser. And I mention it specifically because a common rant of mine, I won't go into the whole rant, is the fact that these OLED screen devices like Lumia 800, Lumia 900, um, they use lots of power when they're showing white, which means all the traditional Twitter clients, the standard Twitter color scheme is white background, with nice blue logos, works very, very bad at preserving power on our smartphones. Seismic is a full Twitter client, so I'm using it that way. Jet black background, really, really power efficient, and it's also very, very fast. So um, I, messages in my timeline, replies, direct messages, just scrolling up and down, black background, almost no power being used. Very impressive. Seismic. So there we go. Uh, personally, I would like to uh, point out Lunar Phases just popped up uh, in the App Store and in the uh, Windows Phone directory as well. Essentially, it's a live tool that shows you the phases of the moon, um, which has uh, lots of interesting uses. Uh, but especially if you're a LARPer or like Twilight, this is what you need on your phone. Forget about the normal regular time. You need that 28-day lunar cycle to actually do all your role-playing properly. Okay, Sean Locke next. David. Okay, um, I've got something which I think will be familiar to a lot of mobile enthusiasts, which is Mood Agent, which is an alternative music player. And what music, 
um, sorry, mood, mood agent has done on um, in every incarnation of it. It takes your music collection and um, compares all of your tracks to their central database and lets you define the mood that you're in by just adjusting little bars for like sensual, tender, happy, or angry. And it will compile a playlist that will match your mood. Now, the Windows Phone 7 version has brought in a nice simplification as well because it ha does have the um, bars that you can adjust, but it has a page in its panorama. So you can just tap one of the individual moods just so you don't have to think, well, what percentage am I happy and what percentage am I tender? Um, you can just say, I'm happy, and tap it, and it'll compile a playlist for you. So it's nice to have this on Windows Phone because it, it's basically out there for every other type of phone. So it, it, would be one, it would be one home comfort to anyone who's new to Windows Phone 7. And um, it's in the Windows Phone Marketplace now, and I can't remember the price. Which you can find if you go online, click through the link uh, on our website, you'll find the price there. So no need to struggle. Rafe, you can only tell me which one of the applications you have this week. If you can tell me who is the most successful QI contestant in terms of wins. I have absolutely no idea. So I guess I can't tell you about my app. What we, if you had been able to tell me, uh, the, what would you have told me? I'd have told you about Wordament, which is uh, kind of a word search application. You get a grid on the screen and, you know, you just slide over the letters to form words from the grid. Um, usually I'd get, it's not terribly interesting. I mean, I like word puzzles as much as the next person. Yeah, it's been very slickly implemented. I particularly like the way it actually uses the spot color from the phone's theme within the application to do the coloring of the grid squares. Um, and yes, you know, pops up and you get scoring points, sort of combination of Scrabble and a word search, I suppose. But this is a, a massively multiplayer online game because actually with these uh, word search grids that come up on screen, you're getting them at the same place as hundreds of other people all around the world at the same time. And so you play for two minutes and find all the words you can. And then after those two minutes, you get your score, but you also get to see what everyone else scored. And you obviously get to see a list of the words as well. So it's a very clever kind of combination of multiplayer game and traditional word game are really quite addictive especially if you've got a couple of friends playing it as well you can compare scores um, as i say it's been very very slickly implemented and there's a nice developer blog to go with it which has some you know, interesting bits on the stats and how they came to make certain design decisions so definitely recommend that it's a completely free download it's ad supported and you can get it from the windows own marketplace such a shame you're not able to tell us about it Absolutely. Indeed, yeah. This is what happens when you record on a day when Wikipedia is blacked out. The rest of the team can't go scurrying off and finding out that the answer is, of course, Rich Hall. I'm Ewan Spence, and I know strange stuff like that. Anyway, also know that we'll be back next week with another exciting and interesting episode of the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast. I will be joined then, as I have been today, by Rafe Blanford. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, Steve Litchfield. Thank you very much. See you next week. By David Blanford? Not David Blanford. He's doing the <laughs> evil twin thing on me. He's doing the evil twin. <laughs> something ah. I don't know. <laughs> we, yeah, we've never, never actually mentioned that. We have David Gilson. It's been, it's been fun. It's been emotional. And we'll talk to you all next week. Yeah. You've, you've got an, an Emmy Award winning speech there, David, if you ever need it. Uh, Kate Winslet lookalike as well. Yeah, and I'd probably Sound get her like, wrong as well. I'm on top of the world. Oh, well, just lost another 10% of the audience with another weird <laughs> ending. Oh, well, tune in next week for more fun and games. <laughs>